welcome back to the Age Unsquared Podcast. It's another week, another episode, number 29 to be exact. Yet again, it's me, your host, Age, Journey's Guide to Financial Independence. It's been a warm yet smoky week here deep in the prairie land of springtime Canada, but work on our journey continues, either from the comforts of an air-conditioned office or the coolness of a basement home office. There's no time to be lazy in making excuses, especially as the guide of our journey. I need to be very alert to make sure I don't take our journey on a wrong turn into the financial abyss instead. But jokes aside, thank you for joining me once again and devoting another 20 minutes of your week to more motivation, inspiration, and education. And if this is the bus stop where you have first boarded our journey, thank you to you as well. I'm glad you've decided to take a chance on this podcast, but you'll quickly learn that I'm not one for very much small talk, as I want to be respectful of the 20 minutes or so that you have spared your attention to hear out this episode. So let's dive right into the good stuff. For longtime followers of our journey, you know that I like to start off each episode with a segment concentrating on matters that lie outside the realm of finances, investments, and economics. And if you haven't noticed that yet, Well, I guess now you know. The topic is usually to motivate us to be better people, which, in turn, encourages us to work harder towards our own financial independence. But at times, I also like to look at cultural matters, and such is the case in today's episode. This week, I came across an article on Zero Hedge titled, A Random Encounter in a Diner on Memorial Day Shows Exactly Where America is Heading. For those of you on my email list, You've possibly already read this article. And yes, I know, I said I'm pumping out this podcast from deep within the prairie land of Canada, not the US of A, but America significantly influences Canada, so it's irresponsible to ignore what happens to our southerly neighbors. The author's focus is a critique of the next generation to be taking over the reins of the country, namely millennials, and more specifically, those under the age of 30. While I generally see merit in his arguments, I have one angle I think he brushes by and mostly overlooks. First, allow me to serenade you with some of his thoughts about millennials. Early on in his piece, he states, Young adults of today are going to be the leaders of tomorrow, and generally speaking, the young adults of today are not in good shape. A couple of lines later in his piece, he describes millennials as selfish, rude, arrogant, boastful, proud, disrespectful, ungrateful, undisciplined, slothful, and completely obsessed with themselves. Hmm, well that's a very long list of descriptive words, and you can almost feel the unmentionable four-letter words wanting to peek through that list. But I digress. He continues with, They feel entitled to everything, but they don't want to work for it. They want to be treated like kings and queens, but they don't see a problem with treating others like dirt he does tip his hat to shining exceptions and recognizes that not all millennials of that age group are as he describes them, but in general he views the group as what he calls a complete mess. In discussing this, I suddenly can't help but think of the ever-growing popularity of one U.S. congresswoman who goes by the affectionate AOC. Yes, she falls into this age group, so should we be surprised by how she acts? Should we be surprised that she's popular enough to get voted into Congress? It's difficult not to confirm many of these allegations when listening to AOC and her moronic ideas and values. Now, this is not a political comment on my part. 
It's just the politics that's giving her a stage to spout the nonsense. But anyways, further into the post, the author lays into the root of the problem in stating, most of our young adults are the product of a deeply flawed education system, have had thousands of hours of garbage entertainment poured into their minds, and have been systematically trained to reject the values that this country was founded upon. And this is the point where I take some exception. By all means, I agree with the statement. What irks me is that previous generations, especially the parent generations to these millennials, which I think would be either the late baby boomers or the early generation Xers, seem to want to complain about this yet take no responsibility for the outcomes. Countless times I've heard the education system blamed for our problems. But pray tell me, who led the education system and molded the curriculum that was taught to these millennials? What about those parents who felt it was only the education system's responsibility to teach their children, not theirs as parents? Thousands of hours of garbage entertainment? No argument here. But again, who permitted that garbage entertainment to fill the minds of these millennials? Worse yet, who created this garbage entertainment? It didn't appear out of nowhere. He mentions values? Okay, who should be teaching values? Where do manners come from? What about belief systems? Somewhere along the lines, these millennials had to have been made to think that their behavior is acceptable. When they were growing up, they did not control the halls of public opinion that molded society. They are the result of that society. It seems that the author recognizes this, though, as he concludes his piece with, Life is all about choices, and as a nation we have been making the wrong choices for a very long time. Yes, these are points taking some level of responsibility and spreading it to earlier generations. But then he antes up and lays it all on the millennials by saying, the young adults of today could choose to be the generation that starts making better choices. And let us hope that a great awakening is just around the corner. Okay, great. So, dear millennials, yes, we previous generations have really screwed you up. And we continue to do so with the piles of debt we're building. But you know what, that's a story for another time. But here's a torch, take it, and make the changes no other generation before you has been willing to make. For those of you who have been on this journey long enough, you'll recognize that this whole matter brings focus to our second principle of self-reliance. There's nothing amiss in depending on others in your immediate community to make us better people. But we cannot defer responsibility about ourselves onto others, no matter how good their intentions seem to be. This piece shows that previous generations have set up the stage for the up-and-coming millennials to be uber-dependent and now are complaining about the successful results of their policies. But maybe the millennials, especially those under 30, should take this all under advisement and take it as a challenge to rise up and reverse the path laid before you to truly make a change for the better. Be sure you don't fit the list of words used by this author to describe you. That's a place to start. But it also starts with realizing that living a life dependent solely on others will not result in a happy and meaningful life. Stop crying about every comment you don't like. Stop screaming hysterically against ideas you don't agree with. Open your minds and hearts. Optimize yourself first. Clean your own room first and stand up straight. No one else will do it for you. And best of all, prove these beliefs wrong and change the death spiral you've been guided into. Now, to discuss a topic that seems to be haunting more than just millennials these days. In recent political rhetoric out of the U.S., we're hearing the likes of Bernie Sanders, AOC, and Elizabeth Warren spouting disdain for credit card companies and high interest rates. 
And while I'd love nothing more than to take the counter-argument to these political eggheads, I'm instead going to focus on the very root of their perceived problem. To start, a quick show of hands. How many of you have at least one credit card? I can see a lot of hands going up. I have no doubt that everyone that is part of our journey has at least one credit card. As with most financial things though, I'd also venture a wild guess that very few people have been properly informed in the most efficient and proper use of a credit card. How can I be so certain, you ask? Oh, you know, just the vast amounts of credit card debt that's outstanding these days, you know, just a hunch. If more people used credit cards as a means to properly manage their cash flow rather than as a long-term debt solution, the likes of Bernie Sanders, AOC, and Elizabeth Warren would have no legs to stand on in terms of arguing for lower interest rates. What do I mean by cash flow management? Why do I not view it as a debt solution? For starters, if you think it's smart to carry a balance on your credit card, well then I have some air I'd like to sell you. At its very core, a credit card is meant to be used as a convenient solution to pay for something when cash is difficult to come by right at that moment or because carrying that amount of cash isn't wise. But that transaction to purchase whatever it is you're purchasing is meant to be paid off as soon as possible and no later than the due date. That's why the credit card company gives a grace period to make that payment. And recently with the arrival of reward programs to the credit card scene, Yes, we're seeing more use of credit cards as an alternative to debit cards, as people are on a quest to be rewarded for using the credit cards with travel points or cash back or some other reward system along those lines. There's nothing wrong with this, as long as you're still able to pay off those transactions come due date time. For those who can be very industrious, these rewards can provide you with worthwhile returns, as long as you're not drowning in ultra-high interest rate debt, of course. If you do find yourself carrying credit card balances and not paying them off every statement, it's time to reevaluate your budget and to make changes. At the very least, you need to find a short-term solution to carry that debt at a lower rate while you pay it off. If your credit application is strong enough, consider fixing this balance owing with a loan or a line of credit from the bank. The interest rate will be lower, allowing you to pay off more of the principal in a more timely manner. If for some reason, though, no bank will approve you for a loan or line of credit, then it's time to put that credit card away and stop using it, because you have more problems on your hands than you realize. Very likely that your credit history is shot and you need to fix that too. So only make payments to the credit card to pay off the debt. In the meantime, get your cash flow situation fixed and use cash and or debit cards to make your purchases instead. Think about it. Painkillers such as Tylenol or Advil are beneficial to most people, who know how to use them very sparingly and only when needed. But there are a select few who become addicted to them and so turn the usefulness of painkillers into nasty life-changing addictions. The same is true for credit cards. They are useful tools and, used properly, can be wonderful for your financial fitness. But there are those who become addicted to their credit card which can result in long-term financial pain. Break your habit before it ruins you financially. And if you need help, Stay tuned to my offer at the end of the episode. It's the same offer I make every episode, but you want to listen in and make sure you don't miss out on it. But before I end the episode, let's shift gears to focus on an important investment matter. It was a few months back that I had planned to discuss today's topic, but got sidetracked by another development in the Bombardier saga. The topic of the inverted yield curve slipped my mind thereafter, 
and has only come back onto my radar this week with another story highlighting the current inversion. As with most things on the international investment stage, the story was about the U.S. yield curve. And as with most investment things, the inverted yield curve is made to sound a lot more complicated than it really is. So I'm here, as with most things, to unravel the financial mystery around it for you. But before I do, you may be wondering why it's important to pay attention to yield curves, especially those of the inverted variety. And the simple answer is that in most cases, though not every time, an inverted yield curve is a leading indicator that a recession will soon be upon us. Again, it's not 100% guaranteed, but it's right more often than not. To set things up, consider a simple example. If a friend asked to borrow money from you for one year, how much interest would you charge him for the privilege of using your money on an annual basis? Assume this is not one of your best friends, so omit the whole 0% answer. Now, instead of one year, he asked to borrow the money for 10 years. How much interest do you charge him now? The exact numbers aren't important here. What you should naturally be inclined to do, though, is charge him higher interest on the 10-year loan than on the one-year loan. Why? Because 10 years is a longer period of time than one year. It's as simple as that. Not only are you losing your own access to that money for 10 years, thus not able to enjoy it, a lot more can change in 10 years than in one year, so there's a higher risk that you won't be paid back all or any of it after 10 years. To repeat that again, in general terms and under normal economic expectations, the amount of interest charged on a loan will increase as the length of time of the loan increases. So a 30-year loan will command a higher interest rate than a 10-year loan, which in turn commands a higher interest rate than a 2-year loan. Follow so far? Good. So an inversion in yield means that the 30 charges more than 10 charges more than 2 scenario somehow unravels. In its more extreme cases, it so happens that the scenario, well, it inverts. This means that suddenly it is your 2-year loan which charges more than your 10-year loan which charges more than your 30-year loan. Why would this happen? Because lenders are more worried about the short term than they are about the long term. It means they see dark clouds moving in over the economic horizon, so they want to make sure they get more interest paid to them in the short term while having a rosier outlook further down the years. So what's the scoop in the investment world right now? The most watched yield differential is the difference between the 3-month U.S. Treasury bill and the 10-year U.S. Treasury note. Using the logic I just explained to you, under normal circumstances the 10-year should carry a higher interest rate than the 3-month. As of the article I read on May 29th of 2019, the difference was a negative 0.13%, meaning the 3-month rate was 0.13% higher than the 10-year rate. This may not seem like a lot, but considering that normally the 10-year should be a couple of percentage points higher than the 3-month, this is significant. Okay, but you're saying we live in Canada, and the age you're pumping this out from deep within the prairie land of Canada, so stop focusing on the U.S. all the time. Alright, so let's look at the Canadian government bond yield curve. You're probably thinking it's just the U.S. that are screwed up on their inversion. Well, as of this episode, the Canadian yield curve is also inverted, my friends. The 3-month rate is at 1.69%, and the 10-year rate is at 1.55%, so that's a difference of negative 0.14%. It's a little bit higher than our U.S. counterparts. And to bring it even closer to home, for anyone who has gone GIC shopping of late, 
This explains why there is so little difference between the one-year, two-year, three-year, four-year, and five-year rates. In some cases, it may even seem like some of the rates are the same, such as a two-year rate being the same as the three-year rate. I've even seen recent cases where the GIC rates are higher on the shorter end than on the longer end. So in this case, don't think that the banks are crazy. They're just offering rates as dictated by the current market conditions. There you have it, an understanding of what an inverted yield curve is, and why it's important enough to be referred to so many times in the financial media. It's also a reason to understand how it can affect your investment portfolio directly. Thankfully for you though, this episode is not inverted, meaning the end is where it belongs, at the end. And as fate would have it, we have reached the end of the 29th leg of our journey. As the wait begins for the 30th installment, I humbly ask that you don't sit around idly waiting. Instead, help out humble guy age to spread the word of our journey to others in three easy steps. Firstly, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at www.ageunsquare.com. By subscribing, you're letting the podcast catchers know that this podcast is good and worth following so it's more likely to be recommended to others. To enhance the algorithm's ability to get the podcast out to more people, posting a rating or review about the podcast is of great help too, and that's step two. Last but certainly not least, the last step is the easiest and most direct. Share this podcast with three members of your inner circle of family and friends. Let them know the great things you're learning here. We're all about outside-of-the-box thinking. And of course, you can stay connected with me between the episodes through the At The Original Age handle on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And there's always that coffee or tea with your name on it that's waiting to be enjoyed whilst having a great conversation about your story. Simply email me at adrian at agecorp.co, that's A-D-R-I-A-N at agecorp.co, or you can message me on one of Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to redeem this great offer. We'll have a casual conversation, and if we decipher that financial independence is in your cards, it would be an honor to welcome you into our extended financial family. Hear that, mes amigos? That is the sound of inevitability, which means... It's time to sign off. So until next time, stay safe, keep your integrity, and see you at the pinnacle.